From RTE News, this is States of Mind. I am your president of law and order. You won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. All groups should practice self-monitoring and remain peaceful. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. Your U.S. election 2020 podcast. With Brian O'Donovan in Washington. And Jackie Fox in Dublin. Today. Mark Felt was deep throat. And he guided reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein through the web of deceit that was Watergate. To leave office before my term is completed is abhorrent to every instinct in my body. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you... Sure, I want you to I be. wanted to... I wanted to always play it down. I'm, I'm embarrassed for President Trump that he has failed in such a grotesque way. Bob Woodward, international best-selling author, legendary journalist who broke the Watergate scandal along with Carl Bernstein, and the author of the new book, Rage, a book about Donald Trump that everybody is talking about. Bob Woodward, thank you for joining us on the podcast. What's striking, Bob, about Rage is the level of access that you got to Donald Trump. Now it's turning out it's not just old people, Bob. Just today and, and yesterday, some startling facts came out. It's not just old, older yeah, exactly. young people to plenty of young people. 18 so. recorded interviews over seven months. Why do you think Donald Trump agreed to do that and agreed to have them all recorded? What do you think he thought he would gain out of it? Well, yeah. Uh, I did a book uh, two years ago called Fear About Trump, and he didn't cooperate. And uh, he denounced fear and said it was not true. But then a number of people told him actually it was true, which it was. And uh, he decided he would cooperate on this. So on December 5th of last year, so what's that's 10 months ago, I went into the Oval Office, uh, plunked down my tape recorder on the Resolute desk and said, this is all on the record. Uh, I will quote you verbatim, and it will come out before the election in September uh, or October. And then uh, we developed a telephone relationship uh, that was very, he, he would call me at all hours. I had to carry a tape recorder. This is the tape recorder, the Olympus around with me because you never knew when he would call on the weekend or at night and I wanted to be able to record uh, the interviews uh, and get it exactly right. He knew that and agreed and uh, as he said recently, he said interesting things about the book. First of all, he said it was a political hit job. Then he said he read it in one night and it was fine, it was okay, and then he said, he uh, actually said some great things uh, in the book. Uh, I let him have his say in those uh, nine hours of interviews, so his viewpoint comes through, but what was fascinating for me as a reporter is to be able to push him and uh, just uh, say, no, 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 wait a minute, uh, you Let's look at what's going on uh, in race relations or the virus or handling the Supreme Court. Uh, all of the issues of the day, really, we were able to cover. 
There's been lots of articles written over the last week or two since the book came out about the why. Why did Donald Trump agree to do it? And a lot of people speculating, a lot of analysts saying it was perhaps arrogance, it was ego. He thought he could manipulate it. He thought he could shape it. He saw you as this big name journalist and author and kind of wanted to impress you. Is that a kind of an analysis you would agree here? Um, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. I um, just am trying to find out what he would say about all of these issues. And he'd let me. I, I would come back at him and say, wait a minute, you haven't answered the question. For instance, on race relations, uh, after May 25th, when George Floyd was killed uh, by a police officer, I started asking Trump about race relations. Do you think there is systematic or institutional racism in this country? Well, I think there is everywhere. I think probably less here than most places or less here than many places. Okay, but is it here in a way that it has an impact on people's lives? I think it is, and it's unfortunate, but I think it is. And said to him very directly, you are the son of white privilege. Your father had lots of money. Uh, I noted that my father was a judge and lawyer in Illinois. We're, right, we're white privilege. And I asked him directly, said, do you understand the pain and anger that black people feel in the United States? Do you have any sense that that privilege has isolated and put you in a cave to a certain extent as it put me and I think lots of white privileged people in a cave and that we have to work our way out of it to understand uh, the anger and the pain particularly black people feel in this country. And uh, Trump uh, then mocked me, and uh, you can hear the audio. He said, wow, you sure drank the Kool-Aid. You... No, you, you really drank the Kool-Aid, didn't you? you? Listen to you, wow. No, I don't feel that at all. I don't feel that way at all. So we got his fundamental view on the Black Lives Matter uh, issue in this country and race relations in general. You mentioned the reaction of Donald Trump to all of this. Some of it positive, some of it neutral, some of it very, very negative. At one point he said, a very boring and obsolete book, and he said you were just another Trump hater. How do you feel when the US president attacks you in this way? Do you kind of think on one level, well, good, I wasn't out to do a puff piece on you, Mr. President. Are you hurt on any level when he attacks you and attacks the book? Well, no, because he said a Fox News anchor asked him just last week, well, is the book accurate? And Trump said, it's okay, it's fine. And uh, what's so alarming about this, quite frankly, he told me uh, in March that uh, he intentionally downplayed the coronavirus, uh, that he didn't want to cause a panic. It goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air, and that's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. This is more deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you. Sure, I want you to I be. wanted to uh, 
I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. And then last week he said, well, I actually uh, upplayed it. That's not really a word, but he made it up. Uh, so he's saying he downplayed. No, he upplayed. He thinks he said some great things in the book. Uh, he calls it a political hit job. The tragedy of the Trump presidency right now and President Trump is he doesn't know which way is up or down. He doesn't know whether he likes something or he doesn't like something. There is a radical and tragic disconnection from reality. For instance, he's recently saying on the handling of the virus he would give himself an A+. Plus. He told me this two months ago. He still thinks he deserves an A+. Plus. Anyone who looks at this, like the doctors and the people uh, who know some of the 200,000 people uh, who died in this country of the virus, uh, realize that the president, who now we know uh, from the book and Trump's own words in February, he knew that it was airborne and that it was a virus that could be spread by people who didn't show symptoms. It was all laid out for him on March 28th. I'm, I'm sorry, January 28th. Uh, he had opportunities galore as the president to go to the public and give the public some warning. In my initial interview with Trump, uh, which was an hour and 14 minutes in the Oval Office back December 5th uh, that was all recorded uh, on page 20, I'm sorry, page 49 of the transcript. I asked him, what's the job of the president? And he said, the job of the president is to protect the people. He has failed to do this in a way that is astonishing it is one of the, the uh, most vivid cases of dereliction of duty. The president, uh, he doesn't understand the American people that he governs. If the American people are told the truth and the bad news, as we know from World War II, as we know from uh, even the 9-11 terrorist attacks in this country 19 years ago, that when the country is let in on the truth, uh, the country rallies, people step up. Uh, and Trump didn't understand that. He somehow thought he could finesse it. And uh, in finessing it, 200,000 Americans have died. It's the most of any country. It's the, it, the, the failure of leadership is shocking tragic and uh, quite frankly, some, I'm, I'm embarrassed for President Trump that he has failed in such a grotesque way. As you said there, Mr. Woodward, he admitted to downplaying the coronavirus. Some critics would say, why did you wait so long to reveal what you learned in February during those interviews? Um, first of all, when I learned in February, uh, the virus, all the virus discussion was about what was going on in China. 
and I was convinced the president was talking about China, and I did not realize uh, that he was talking about the United States until May of this year when I discovered and got the details of the January uh, 28th meeting. Uh, in February, uh, Dr. Fauci, on February 28th, 29th, he said publicly, said people can go to gyms, malls, go to movies. Uh, it doesn't look like people have to change their behavior. So it was not known by anybody except President Trump. And uh, in March, as you know, the virus exploded. And for me to do a story then would just be telling people what everyone knew, that it was airborne and it was something that could be passed by people who did not show symptoms. Do you feel like after all of those interviews that you have a better understanding of the man that people really desperately want to try and understand? Uh, yes, I think if you uh, read through the book, it's all in chronological order. Uh, you, you can see time and time again, uh, like the upcoming Supreme Court uh, appointment that apparently he is going to make and uh, may be approved by the Republican Senate. It's the big controversy now, as uh, it should be. I asked uh, Trump about how he viewed the Supreme Court, how he worked with Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader of the Senate, and you can hear those audios and how excited Trump is, how much he appreciates uh, that McConnell, when the Republicans controlled the Senate the last years uh, of the Obama presidency, how McConnell did not approve 142 judicial appointments that Obama put through. So as Trump told me, he said, so starting his presidency in 2017, uh, he had 142 golden nuggets, as he called them, and uh, that he's putting through, uh, you know, maybe in the end, 300 judges. He's not not only going to remake the federal judiciary, he's going to remake America in a very significant and dramatic and uh, historic way. Your assessment of, I suppose, first off, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, what that will mean for the Supreme Court and U.S. society in general, and then this mother of all political rows that we're going to see here in Washington over the next few weeks as Donald Trump tries to get his nominee installed, will it benefit him electorally? Could it damage him electorally? Because it's going to get messy on Capitol Hill when it comes to trying to get that nominee through. Well, first of all, it, 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 as you know, covering this here in Washington in the United States, uh, it is issue one. Uh, it's almost uh, everyone in politics and out in the world is talking about instead of the virus. And of course, the virus is what he failed on. And so to shift the spotlight to the Supreme Court nomination uh, puts him, at, uh, I believe, at this point in a big gives him a big advantage. His base loves that. Evangelical Christians, very important to 
get a new conservative on the Supreme Court. So there would be really six conservatives on the court. Uh, Trump says he's going to appoint a woman. Uh, this woman, uh, the major contenders are age 48 and 52. If they get through and are seated on the Supreme Court, and that woman lives as long as Ruth Bader Ginsburg did uh, to age 87, that woman could serve on the court 35 years. Uh, this, this is a legacy uh, that reaches not just uh, into the short-term futures, 10, 20 years, but 35 years. And so the stakes are giant here. Uh, you have the legislative branch, the Senate, and the executive branch working together in tandem. The tapes that I've released on this show uh, the exuberance that Trump feels about this. You have those two branches working together, hand in glove, to control the third branch of government, the judiciary. Historians are going to be writing about this for tens of years, if not more. When you reported on the Watergate scandal with Carl Bernstein, those scandals led to numerous government investigations and the eventual resignation of President Richard Nixon. The president is going to address the nation and presumably announce his resignation in a half an hour from now. People will be at television sets and radios tonight to hear what the president has to say. I have never been a quitter. To leave office before my term is completed is abhorrent to every instinct in my body. But as president, I must put the interests of America first. Do you think the American media holds the power and the influence it once had in terms of power of accountability? Or could it be said that this is under threat due to the undermining of the press by those in power and the rise of misinformation and fake news? People find it more difficult now to know what to believe. Yes, they do. And this is the internet. Uh, you know, the, the speed and impatience that's generated. Oh, give me a headline. Give me one word to describe what's going on. So uh, in-depth reporting, it's scarce here. I am fortunate to still work at the Washington Post and have my publisher, Simon & Schuster. I can do these books and spend time on them. And uh, they get the attention they do because the Post and particularly CNN play these audio tapes and describe uh, what's in the book. It, it's hard. I think it's very confusing for people, but take uh, the average person in the United States. Should I send my child to school? How dangerous is that? Does it make sense? What are the downsides of having just virtual learning through staring into a computer. Can I go out to the bowling alley? What is the risk going to the birthday party down the street? Unfortunately, Trump as the leader has the megaphone and he could have going, gone back to January, told the American people a pandemic is coming. He knew it. He, the 
sources he had in his national security team were impeccable. It was very convincing. Even Dr. Fauci, the uh, head of infectious diseases in the United States, kind of the guru on all of this, was told by the deputy national security advisor, Matt Pottinger, back in January that this was a coming pandemic. Fauci uh, didn't believe it, thought uh, Pottinger was exaggerating, uh, thought that uh, Pottinger was really over the sky uh, on this. And then when the pandemic exploded in the early part of March, as it did with 30,000 cases a day, new, uh, I quote Fauci in the book saying, oh, Matt Pottinger was right all along. And uh, other doctors had conversations with Pottinger about this. The fact is the president got all this laid out to him in a top secret uh, environment in the Oval Office. And the doctors don't attend those meetings. Uh, it is it is a, a failure to warn the American people a failure of leadership, a failure to tell the truth, a failure on Trump's part to be obsessed with his uh, own re-election. It's one of, it, it's really an American tragedy. I mean, there are parts of the book you're not going to like, and... Uh, not one I like, though. Well, just, you know, there is, uh, it, it's tough times. The... Uh, the virus, uh, as you repeatedly told me, and as you've said publicly, it's uh, derailed things, and uh, it's a it's a big reality in people's lives, as you know. So uh, I will get it to you, and you know the market's coming back very strong. You do know that. Yes, of course, and Did you, you know, cover that in the book. Uh, yeah, oh, sure. And just finally. Bob Woodward, this is your second book on this current administration. We have fear, we've got rage. What's next? Because this sounds Fury. a bit like a trilogy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this, this sounds like a trilogy to me. Uh, well, you know, happily as a reporter, you don't have to do the future. Uh, you try to do the past. I think sometimes we run by the past too, too quickly that we should go back and examine it. Uh, I was able to do this in the two books, and uh, it in in the first book uh, I said that it was a breakdown of the a nervous breakdown of the executive branch of the American presidency, and in this one I conclude because of the overwhelming evidence of the failure to lead. I conclude that uh, in last sentence in the book, in totality, Trump is the wrong man for the job of the presidency in this country.